We're going to talk about an interesting concept this morning. And, um, you know, we always come to a, a meeting like this and we need to take things home with us that are practical and workable. Things that can be done. Have you heard of the concept of resilience? What does it mean to you? Sustaining power. That's a nice way of doing To endure. Very important. Very interesting definitions. I like that. Perseverance, stick to Okay, yeah, that's. Can you name me an article which is resilient? Yeah, or a, something. A thing that is a tree, in what way would you say a tree is resilient? What happens if a tree bends in its early days? It stays bent. What happens if you take an elastic band and you pull it? No, but you pull it, what happens when you let go? It goes back together, an elastic band. But interestingly, the other day I picked up an elastic band which was around uh, an instrument which I haven't used for a long time. Hmm? And as I took it off this covering of the box, what happened to it? It just broke. It just broke into little pieces. And, you know, I looked at it, and I then picked up another elastic band when I'd finished. It was actually just holding the cover of my diagnostic set that I'll use to look in ears and eyes and so on. And uh, I took another elastic and put it around, and that one stretched and went back to normal and stretched and went back to normal. But the other one had to be thrown away. It had lost its resilience. Its elasticity was gone its ability to endure, its ability to cope. Resilience is really the ability to cope under difficult circumstances. Everything that you've said fits into it beautifully. Everything, all the definitions you've given are meaningful and together. And so we understand that in order for young people and older people to cope, to be protected from at-risk behaviors. What is an at-risk behavior? Anybody tell us? You know, straight after this lecture, we're going to put the chairs back in a circle. Because we're at risk. I, I'm, I feel that we've lost the communication. What is at-risk? Exactly. Like what? Drinking alcohol or uh -huh. eating foods that's going to kill you. Ah, eating foods that, that are bad for you. you, smoking. <laughs> yeah, that is an at-risk behavior. I know of some people who jumped off a cliff for thrills. 
I know some people who jumped off a cliff for thrills, but I won't tell you about that story. <laughs> but premature and promiscuous sex, at-risk behavior, gambling, at-risk behavior, pornography, at-risk behavior. Now, I want to ask you this question. Do people know that those behaviors are dangerous? Yeah, they do. They know it's dangerous. And, you know, I always quote this example. I was, I was doing a seminar in a, in, a, in a government building. And uh, it was on, on alcohol and health for young people. And I went into the washroom and I thought, in this place where people know they make legislation, laws, about what we should smoke and drink and the dangers, etc. I found a box of cigarettes on the floor of the washroom. And I picked it up, and I looked at it, and I thought, wow, it says smoking can kill, smoking can cause cancer, it's dangerous for you, etc., etc. I thought, in this place where they make the laws, this box must be full. I opened it. You surprised that I opened it? No. <laughs> and you know what? It was... You have two choices. <laughs> it was empty. <laughs> it was empty. It was in a country that spoke English, that wrote English, that read English. Do you think they could read the boxes, the parliamentarians? Do you think they could read it? Of course they could. Is knowledge enough for prevention? One of the things that we need to understand as we have spent this week, and it's been a very focused week, it's been a week that's been focused on Jesus. If you say to me it's been a week that's focused on health ministry, yes, it has done that too. But the core and the center is Jesus. And when we look at our young people, when we speak to our young people, when we speak to in, our, in our churches, when we do prevention programs or initiatives, we need to remember that knowledge is not enough. Dwayne McBride. Come in, Dwayne, just for a moment. I want you to see what, it, what the man looks like. One of the men looks like who's done a lot of work. Push him into here, Alan. He's not, he's, he's, he makes as if he's shy. He's, he's not shy at all. He's a pushy academic. Sorry, no, no, no. He's a very accomplished. Assertive academic. A pushed academic. He's an assertive academic, an accomplished academic. He's the chair of behavioral sciences at Andrews University. And he and Dr. Hopkins have done a tremendous amount of work on the issue of resilience. Oh, resilience, yes. What's resiliency, Duane? Well, resilience is the ability to overcome kind of a bad environment and still do very well. Uh -huh. And we often think of uh, you know, our communities and our children as uh, not in bad neighborhoods. But everyone's from a bad neighborhood today because pornography and drugs are just a, a, a click away. You can go on a website and enter, how do I make methamphetamine? And in two seconds, you'll get the recipe. You, know, you can accidentally hit a button and get all kinds of pornography. So we're all from bad neighborhoods. We all need to focus on resilience. Resilience is basically having someone in your life that cares for you your parents, your teachers, someone that loves you, gives you a sense of purpose and being, like and, and that's how you become resilient no matter what you face in life.
And you he's see, just shown you resilience. He's just shown resilience. <laughs> I'm ignoring him. <laughs> he still can carry on. Now, they don't know. I know. He doesn't know. He hates contact. Oh, yeah. No. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a typical uh, Northern European. I'm a Scotch-Irish Calvinist, which means I don't want to get within five people of others, you know. If I, and no. uh, my Hispanic colleagues can back me around a room. Now, before that, I want to ask you this other question. Yeah. Um, what is your what is your real training? I'm I'm a sociologist. Yeah, what do what do sociologists do? Studies human behavior. We're a lot like psychologists. We just don't help anybody. Okay, on your way. <laughs> now, the sociologists. <laughs> thanks for that, interlude. Dwayne. That'll teach you to come into our lectures. What I wanted to share with you is the importance of the resilience, the ability to cope. Now, one of the things we've really gone out on in the last 10 years in health ministries is to get this message across to our church, that for young people to just give them the message, just tell them, don't smoke, it's bad for you, causes cancer, bad for pregnancy, causes heart disease, can kill you, don't drink, you can get into accidents, uh, it can cause cancer, it causes um, domestic violence. That's not a good enough reason. It's to tell them and to help them to develop relationships. The relationships that are developed are relationships with Jesus and connectedness with one another. That's why we ask the question, how many pastors do we have here with us? lot. How many lay pastors do we have? Elders and leaders in churches? The rest of you. We asked the question, Dr. Handyside asked the question yesterday, how many of you know the names of the children in your churches? You know, we were at a place one day and we were talking to a group and uh, we were, we said, you know, how many people in your church to one of the pastors? Oh, he said, we have a small church. Said, How many children do you have? Oh, he says, we've got about five. He said, do you know their names? He said, no. You know, when people call, I have a brother, <laughs> I have an adopted brother, and I have, a, I have a brother that I grew up with. His name is John. He's three years older than I am. But all my life, people have thought that I am, they call me John. Because they, th they always thought, John, John this, John that. And ultimately, it was, then it was John's brother. I was then John's brother. I'd rather have been called John than John's brother. I met Stoy's brother the other day. Sadly, in sad circumstances, it was so nice to meet his brother because they're like two peas in a pod. You might not think so, Stoy, but I think so. But what if I went up to Stoy's brother and said, Hello, Stoy's brother? It doesn't sit well. Eventually, the day dawned when somebody said, Ah, this is John, Peter's brother. When they were looking at my brother, I thought, you guys have got it. You guys have got it. Because they knew my name. 
How nice is it when somebody comes in and says, Enrique, is it Enrique or Enrique? It's the same. It's the same. How do you pronounce it? Enrique. En Enrique. Yeah. Or Yuri. Where's Yuri? Yuri's cleaning his glasses. So much nicer than you and you. Or it's nice to say Gina, Stoy. Go around with names because you then feel there's a connection. Isn't there? There's a connection. There's a relationship which builds up. There's an accountability which begins to occur. And all of that is crucially important. Just excuse me a sec. You don't have to suffer through all this. I we know. Don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> and so we look at the issue of prevention, and it's so deeply and intrinsically wound up in this whole thing of relationships. What works? Well, what hasn't worked? We always talk about prevention is better than cure. Well, I would put to you and say that prevention is the cure. It doesn't mean that when people have gone off the rails, when people have had problems, when our young people get involved with experimentation of... Fortunately, there are a number of them that can be rescued. And many of them, when they come back from those behaviors, then become very significant in helping others. Little danger in that. Young people think, well, look at so-and-so. He gets up and he preaches and he tells us about his days of drugs and alcohol and all those kind of things. The danger is they think we can do it and we can get away with it and come back. Not everybody gets the chance. Not everybody gets the chance to get... A second opportunity. So what works? I'm sharing with you a presentation that we gave at a spring meetings to the general conference. President, vice presidents, and departmental directors. Because we felt it was very important and the um, administration at that time, interestingly, Ted Wilson was our Vice President for Health and helped, also Elder Paulson was very, very keen on this whole concept of understanding what we can do, not just as health ministries, not just as youth ministries, not just as women's ministries, not just as children's ministries, but as a church to work on the at-risk behaviors of our young people. Education alone doesn't work. We've shown that. Education alone does not work. If education worked, people wouldn't be lining up at McDonald's the way they do. They wouldn't be smoking cigarettes the way they do. They wouldn't drink alcohol the way they do. They wouldn't be trying to argue the case of saying that alcohol can be healthful for you. You can hear a lot about that in the next talk. So what does work? Social support. You've heard about social support. You were telling me a wonderful example of somebody who was willing to come and take care of your small group for you while you were not well. She herself was going through issues. But that connectedness, somebody cares, somebody comes and shows you that they care about you. Young people, it's been shown that if you know their name and you call them by name, it develops a kind of accountability. 
The story is told, and it's told by some of the researchers that we work with, of a little town in Idaho where they were having a tremendous problem with the behavior of the young people. There was a high incidence of uh, teen violence, of teen pregnancies, of uh, absenteeism from school. And they were trying all kinds of things to try and get these young people to change their behaviors. And they had consultants come in and they tried this and they tried that and nothing seemed to work. At one of the meetings, one of the crusty older members of the town sort of grumbled from the back, why don't we get to know the children's, the young people's names? And they looked at him and said, well, what do you know anyway? We've had all these consultants here, and they didn't tell us that. He says, I'm telling you, why don't you just get to know their names? Well, they started to get to know their names. And so a young person would be standing in the side of the road or on the sidewalk, and uh, I'd be walking along, and I'd say, hello, Gina. Gina would get a bit of, what's this old guy greeting me for? Yeah, what's, he, what, what's with him? But she's kind enough to say, well, hello. Two or three days later, we bump, walk by each other again and say, hi, Gina, how are you? Now there's a bit of eye contact. And she says, hello, I'm fine, how are you? I walk along the road one day and I see Gina and she's got a bottle of beer in her hand. This is not a true story here, by the way. And so she's got a bottle of beer in her hand and she sees me coming along and she's drinking the beer. What do you think she does with a bottle of beer? Why? 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 There's an accountability that's coming up. Because why? There's beginning to become a relationship. Do you see the issue? Actually, they went back a year later and reanalyzed their problems. The teen pregnancies had dropped. The teen violence had dropped by 70%. The absenteeism from school had gone way down. And suddenly, people started to look at this whole concept of connectedness. Now, there's, <clears throat> there's something I need to let you have, and I'm going to, um, we'll put it on the website. It's called Hardwired to Connect. Hardwired to Connect. Dr. Handyside's quoted it from yesterday in his mental health talk. But we, as human beings, have been made and designed and created to connect with one another. When we have connectedness, our lives improve in so many ways. Website, it'll be the health ministry's website, generalconferencehealthministries.com. So what works? Social support. College students who report high levels of social support also report significantly lower levels of stress. So when they have support, and they looked at this at Andrews University, um, and Dwayne McBride was involved in that um, research. That's not the only research. There's a lot of other research that has been done. But they found that students who realized that their teachers, they could go to their teachers and ask them any question, 
not only about their studies, but they could go to them and say, you know, I'm having a hard time with uh, my fees. I'm having a hard time with uh, my home situation. Uh, I don't have a car or whatever it may be. They could go and talk to, the, to their teachers. They reported significantly lower levels of stress. And in the larger picture, people who have good supportive networks have lower incidence of hospitalization. So we see that as you are connected, as we are loved, as we feel needed, as we are cared for, it does something for our well-being. You know, and this is a study that was done in one of the cardiology journals that was uh, released about four or five years ago, where they looked, they took a group of men and uh, who had risk factors. You know what a risk factor is? It's things that put them at risk for, and we always talk about particularly, coronary artery disease. And they took these men, so they had not yet had a heart attack, but they were very at risk. They had diabetes, they may have had hypertension, they might have had an abnormal electrocardiogram, they had a family history, high cholesterol. And so the one group, they put on strict lifestyle management, diet, etc. The other group, in fact, they didn't divide the group. Everybody went on to lifestyle, beg your pardon. Everybody went on to lifestyle management. And then what they did at the end of the study, after a number of years, they then looked at those who had had an event. And when we talk about an event, either a heart attack, chest pain, a hospitalization for some reason. Okay, so they took the whole group, put them onto diet and exercise and all those good things, and then they took the group again and studied how many of them had a problem. And when they looked at those that had the problem, they uh, then went back to the entire group and asked the question, do you know, do you feel that your wife loves you? That your spouse loves you? Now, very interestingly, the, the data came out that those who felt and who could answer the question positively, that they knew, perceived, and realized that their spouse loved them, had less than 50% of the incidents or events than those who couldn't answer that, that question positively. In other words, those who felt loved and cared for had a protection against these events. In other words, they that had hope and love did better than those who didn't. In other words, hope and Twinkies is much better than broccoli and despair. Did you get that? Hope and Twinkies. You know what Twinkies are? Yes. These little cupcakes, uh, high sugar junk food. You could say, yeah. 
donuts, donuts, you know, donuts. So donuts and hope, better than broccoli and despair. And you know, that's now becoming pervasive in the literature, the sociological literature. We're beginning to understand more and more that this connectedness is very, very important. Not only in our survival, but very much in our protection against illness and uh, young people in their choices. It, it, it empowers older adults for, to have sustained practice of health-promoting activities. When people work together, if you've got someone that cares about you, that you can go and exercise with, that comes and asks you, are you exercising? Are you well? Are you doing the right things? You have much more desire to do those things. Supporting peer relationship can serve as a buffer to the experience of childhood physical abuse. Young people who've been abused as children when they come into a supportive social network, show far fewer side effects of that abusive relationship as a child than those who don't have a supportive network. We've talked about the issues of poor social support and a recovery phase following a heart attack. Those who have good support following a heart attack do so much better than those who don't. And it makes sense, doesn't it? You've got somebody who's caring about you, who's looking out for you, who's checking on you, who's, who's there to make sure. Yes. Tell Brother Torres that he is right on target. Because when we talk about social network, we're not talking Facebook. We're talking eyeball to eyeball. You see, we've got all these wonderful things. Mine's in my briefcase. We've got iPhones. We've got iPads. We've got, we need eye contact. That's what we need, eye contact. And you're right. The social networks are not the same as physical and personal contact. You see, the there are studies that have been done on people who go on, who, who lose weight. They go on a diet. Doctor says to you, oh, you've got to lose weight. Here's the diet. Here's the thing you've got to do. Here's the exercise program. You've got to do that as well. And so they go on and do it. Then they, did, they looked at the, the people and they did a follow-up in certain ways. One would be on the internet. So there would be an internet email from the doctor's office. How are you doing, Yuri? Everything all right? What's your weight? That was the internet. Then they did um, a, a letter, just an ordinary letter. And then they also did a phone call. And then they also had a certain group of patients coming into the office, see the nurse, get weighed, spoken to. Which group do you think did the best? Going to the office. Which group did the second best? The phone call. Which group did the worst? The internet. The internet. Yeah. You see, we're living in a very connected but disconnected age. You know, Facebook apology is like saying, if you think I hurt you, I'm sorry. Did you hear what I'm saying? If you think 
that I hurt you, well, I'm sorry. It means nothing. It needs the eyeball-to-eyeball -eyeball contact. Coming to say to you, you know what? I wronged you. I'm sorry. Help me to do better. And usually it always resolves. Absolutely. I had, an, I had a discussion with a younger colleague the other day. And just to share with you, you know, Dr. Handysides and I were born BC. You know that. Mercy. Before computers. Before computers, that's when we were born. So, we like to communicate face-to-face. Apart from the everything else, we can talk well, but we can't type. <laughs> anyway, so we like to talk. And you know, there's a very important thing related to talking. There's a nuance. When I talk with you, you're watching my body language. You watch my facial expression. You can see if I'm looking at you, if I'm caring about you. If I'm, in a, if I'm on a, a conference call, a phone conference call, I know, I know sometimes what I do on conference calls. The phone is there, and I'm tidying my desk, I'm listening, and I'm busy. Maybe a, a message comes in on the computer, and I quickly do the... But when you're talking to me, I must talk with you. Isn't that right? Very important. So I had this discussion with this young uh, colleague who, who said, well, why didn't you just text me? Why didn't you just send me? I said, because there were things in the conversation that I would rather you saw my face as we talked about it. I'm, I'm last at and this is exactly what he's talking about. <laughs> we need a face-to-face. -face. You know, as, as the girls were growing up, and even now, I mean, my older daughter is 32, going 33. The younger one's going to be 31 this year. The best way that we can talk, I mean, we talk on Skype, we talk on the telephone, we talk on email, we talk on texts. But if ever there's a misunderstanding, the best way to resolve it is face to face. It, it, it pushes away a whole lot of misunderstandings. Chronically ill women with social support have less depression. So when people have social support, they do better in every way. It's associated with improved performance in the academic situation. Young people, children at school, you can tell when they're doing, when they're well connected. When things are going well at home, you know that things are going well because you can see their results. Because they're connected. When abused adolescent mothers have good social support, these are all studies. All of this is based on studies. This is not somebody who's just said, well, we're going we're to make a characteristic that works for social support. They had higher birth weight babies. Lack of social support is associated with problems among youth. It's often less present in youth who are at risk of school failure. Social support is associated with successful career outcomes among individuals who've suffered a brain injury. So people who have had injuries, who've had trauma, and particularly brain injury, if they have good support, they do much better. I want to ask you, how do we connect? Social support, love is health-giving. 
sincere and honest relationships promote good health. So I want to ask you, how do you think you're going to promote relationships with your young people? How are you going to do it? Now, I'm not answering this question. You're going to answer the question. How do you promote relationships among young people? They're not going to look for you, but they are watching you. They are watching you. In fact, they're playing a little game with you. They're looking to see and see if you... Are they going to notice us? Are they going to recognize us? So we do need to take an initiative. Absolutely right. I was going to say, uh, just create an atmosphere for them. On their own or with you? Supervised or not? The sociologists tell us that unsupervised youth gatherings are not the answer. Not supervised, you may only do this, you may only do that. Engaged, we need to be engaged. Because if you take young people and you say, we're doing this for you, and uh, get on with it, we're going to go and do something else, they know that this is a cop-out. This is a cop-out. Okay, so we need to be with them. Okay. He's, he's, he's summarizing the whole thing for us, but remember that. I'm going to ask you to say it again. That's not, that's not, that's not part of the deal. That's not part of the deal. So you have the key for, that was for me. I'm going to come to you in a sec. So we need to know what they want. Yeah and then deliver on that. Okay, we're going to go to Stoy, and then we go to Tom. Thank you. So here we're hearing something very important. There's the group approach, which is very important because we deal as pastors and as teachers and as preachers. We, we deal with groups. Stoy's bringing out a kernel truth here that it's really important for me to realize that I am involved and responsible for your children. The Handysides and we met, I'm going to come to you, Tom, I want to just illustrate this point. In 1979, 1979, they were in the mission hospital, I was in a mission practice, and they... They had two lovely children, and then a third lovely child came along. But before the third lovely child came along, we went down on a little vacation together. Was, was, was he three months older? I didn't even remember that. But we went down to the beach, and we met each other on holiday. We didn't go together. We just met by chance. My wife and I and our little girl were away down at the beach. They, we bumped into our friends who we hardly ever saw because they were working like mad in the hospital. We were working like mad in the town. And something happened which I forgot until I was reminded about it just a year or so ago. Their son, Robbie, I took him and we went and sort of ran into the surf of the waves and, and, and had a good time together. And I was reminded that that made an impression on him. I'd forgotten it. But we have a wonderful relationship, not only because of that, but that's one of the things that sticks out in his mind. 
they remember that you cared about them. He's a highly professional man now. He's successful. He's got his own children, treats them wonderfully. But there's a special relationship which we enjoy. And I think that that's very important to remember. It's not as a, we don't do it to be thanked for it, but it has tremendous blessings in its wake. I think, I think this is a crucial point. And I hear what you're saying, and I have experienced where you are at. But one of the things, the pastor has to model it. So learning the names of the young people is a very important point to do. And once you learn their names, what you're going to find is young people sidle up to you. How are you doing? Can I set up your projector for you? And you can either be the obsessive composer and say, no, no, I'm, just, I'm fine, thank you, I'm just doing... Or you can say, you know what, I'm, Tom, thank you so much. You, you sort that out while I find this and make them part of it. That's one of the way of doing it. And they're going to say, you know what? I've got such a cool pastor. And that's how it ripple effects into the groups. Because they say, you know that guy? Or they're going to say, that guy, Tom, you know, I tried to help him. And he just brushed me off. And I'm not going to do it again. One of the things pastors can do as well is they can get involved in teaching the young people's Sabbath school classes. And they need to go to the young people's get-togethers. You need to get your hands dirty with them. You need to let them throw you into the swimming pool. You need to... I'll never forget, we, were, we took the young people out to a, to a special uh, weekend retreat. And it was a beautiful area and it was hot. And uh, the Sabbath day we'd had a special breakfast and we were sitting around in this beautiful park-like garden in the farmhouse of some good friends and fa family of the church. And I saw these young people getting itchy and restless. And there was a swimming pool there. And they started to nudge me and say, uh, <clears throat> swimming pool. I said, I can see it. They said, can we swim? What would you have said? No, not that. <laughs> you know, you would have said no? You said Holy Sabbath? Okay. Is that what you would have said? Well, then I have to acknowledge my sin. Because I looked at them. It wasn't, a, it wasn't an Olympic-sized pool. It was hot. We'd had our lessons. We'd talked. We'd had conversation. And I thought to myself, what am I fooling myself for here? Let them get in the pool. This is now 20 years ago. I mean, it's not today. Today, kids play soccer on Sabbath. You know, that created relationships like nothing else in that group I could have done. And I thank God for it. You know what? They didn't go, and I'm not saying put this in the church manual, but I'm willing to defend it. Because what they did, they got into the pool, they splashed a little bit, they cooled off, and you know what? They got out so quickly. I didn't tell them, time to get out. They just enjoyed. They chilled, 
And you know, I had the privilege of baptizing most of them, I had the privilege of marrying most of them, of dedicating their babies, and I wasn't a full-time pastor. And still today, I get phone calls, cards, messages from those young people. Not only because of the swimming pool. The swimming pool was just one example. But it's the kind of relationship that you build up. It seems to be different now than it was like when I was oh, growing yeah. up. I grew up in the church. Yeah, me too. And That's why it was a big decision for me. All the pastors that I had, we, they got to know us. They, it was more important to know the young people than even the adults, it seems. Yeah. Well, you see, I think that social network, you, you, you brought that out, Amar brought it out. The social networks, the, the Facebooks, the internet, have replaced, but they're not as good as the contact. I mean, I look at my daughters, they'll be sitting in the same room, and they'll be texting each other. There are games they play on their, on their, on their iPod, touches, and there's, you know, they're word games. And, and over Christmas, it was quite funny. We were all together in the same room, and they playing word games with each other. We used to do Scrabble, and we still do Scrabble. But anyway, connectedness is important, and getting to know them. When you know people, you love them. When you love them, you can tell them anything. That includes in the pastoral setting. The only way, you can go to a church board and you can discipline somebody. You can disfellowship them. You can take their office away from them. But if they know you love them, and you, you talk kindly with them, and you show your caring for them, you redeem people. Your work with them is redemptive as opposed to retributive. Resilience is the capacity to maintain competent functioning in spite of adversity and life stressors. Our young people are going through tremendous life stressors. I just listened to the news today. If I was a young person growing up right now in North America and in the world, when I see what's happening in Syria, I see what's happening in Africa, I see what's happening in Iran and Israel, we're sitting in, in, in grand and awful times. We have an economy which is in pieces. Young people are facing life stresses. You look at the young people in Egypt. They've had political unrest for a year now. And what's happening to the behavior patterns? Only time is going to tell. Resilience develops over time. It's a result of environmental support, the support we give. And your questions are very, very valid. To come back to how we give that support and how it works, and Stoy brought out a very important component of this whole discussion and that is we need to get our church members involved in understanding and mentoring and caring for our young people and the way that we do that come to you right now the way that we do that is we don't say today we're going to have a special opportunity to serve in the community you go do that you go do that and then it's done the way we do it is we get together with the young people. We have a preparation. 
Then we say not, you go. We say, come, let us go. And we go together. And when you come back, you have the debriefing. Tom. This media was produced by Audioverse for the NAD Health Summit. If you would like to learn more about the NAD Health Summit, please visit www.nadhealthsummit.com. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.